Do you want to start this time? Um, I could. Do you want to do that? You want to switch it up? Maybe, because I feel like kind of low energy. So I feel like I need to, I need to get okay. up. Like I need to get up into it. All right. Well, that's me on the podcast. Sharing a song with something to say about it. With Thin Lear and Niagara Moon. Losing my opinion. I'm uh, Thomas Irwin. I'm uh, Matt Longo, also known as Thin Lear. Also known as I. I think we were calling me daddy last yep. time. I th- we could probably stop doing that. <laughs> but uh, I just ordered the t-shirt. At this point right now. I just right. We did I think we worked it into my catchphrase for that week which I I don't remember that catchphrase daddy now. Daddy knows but, best. Uh Oh there it was. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll discontinue that. We'll come up with something new at the end for this week uh because you know I just I just can't remember. I can't remember these lines. This is why I'm not an actor. That in my face. But combination of those two things man well i you know if, if the feeling comes to me i think i'm gonna still slip a daddy in there here and there slip a daddy in yeah that's what it's all about <laughs> can i just bring up i want to bring yeah. up one thing so um we so we have a cover art for this uh podcast do? that i'm sure the listener will see in a small square on their phone or uh atari or whatever people are using to listen to podcasts uh, I had someone close to me say, well, that doesn't look like you. And they were very disturbed <laughs> by it. They thought that I looked, you know, a little bit scary. Uh, but I They actually, thought you were the guy with the bow tie. <laughs> well, no, they, 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 got, they got me. But I think what, what's disturbing about this is I, I think it does look like me. I think it looks like and you. Their, and, and their response was like, oh, that looks, you look like a monster. That's so mean. then my feeling is like, well... Well, do I look like a monster? Like, is that just is that um, how I look? That is the. But I guess our, that's our poll for the audience for next week. Do you think Matt looks like a monster? <laughs> Does Matt look like a monster? Is his face elongated? Uh, yeah, and just let me know. And I really I can't do anything <laughs> about it, you know. But uh, it'd be good to know what what the reality is because I've been going around thinking that my face is not uh, elongated looking. And it would really change everything for me. Well, I think it was a very, very accurate like, likeness for the record. And I'd like to have a word with whoever uh, put these insecurities in your head. Thank you. Thanks for sticking up for me, man. That's what we do for yeah, each other. We got each other's backs. So I, uh, like I said, I'm not used to going first. I still feel pretty darn weird about mm. that. But, uh, you know, here goes mm-hmm. nothing. Um, there's a couple of different levels to the argument I'm going to put forward today. I think one of them is definitely slam dunk. The other, we'll see. Wow. Well, I'm curious how, how that develops. Okay. But um, I also must say this is going to be a foundational episode. This is really important this week. This is going to this is Jeez. going to be in the the footnotes of several episodes in the future. So. Oh my God. I know. I know. You must be ready for this, right? You've you've gotten your eight hours sleep and had all day to meditate and. <laughs> I am very well rested. I've not spent the past eight hours driving around for yeah. formula. So I, I feel very alert and present. I'm sure the listener can hear All it in right. my voice. So yeah, this this going to be a big one. I've been looking forward to this. Um, okay. But before we get into the real meat, 
of, uh, of this week's proposition. I want to talk about a certain genre of music, or maybe you call it a subgenre. It's a very specific sound. Um, you're, once I start describing it, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about, but I just want to make sure like, we hone in on the right like, terminology or way to like, encapsulate it. Um, you're definitely huge. I think this is a sound that's near and dear to your heart. Uh, it's, it's, it's a pretty famous one in, in Western popular culture for sure. Um, I'm certainly a fan of this genre overall. Um, I'm talking late 60s, early 70s, uh, L.A.-based, you know, guitar-driven folk rock, talking Joni Mitchell, Neil Young, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, Buffalo, Springfield. I'm I'm talking about California dreaming sort of vibe, the the hippie counterculture. Oh, okay, wow. Uh, So particularly like, you know, 69 through 72, you know, oh, okay. that, that type right. of rock. Um, I thought maybe you could call it like the Laurel Canyon sound. Laurel Canyon sound, okay. It's like maybe like birds. Birds, birds for sure, thing. yeah. They're yeah. they're in there. Okay. You can already hear it in your head, like the general kind of style I'm talking yes. about, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, for those listeners who don't know, Laurel Canyon is a neighborhood in Los Angeles um, that's particularly famous for being like the center of sort of the countercultural rock stuff that was going on. Uh, in the late 60s, early 70s, it was kind of a haven for a lot of artists. Um, I think they made a documentary about the Laurel Canyon, just a phenomenon and stuff. So it's a certain neighborhood in Los Angeles. Uh, you know, it would be a, a musician back then. You've made it if, if you're, you're living there, you're going to all the parties, you're mingling with uh, the studio execs, you know, booking time at Sunset Sound, blah, blah, blah. That, that, that's like the rock and roll dream of that era and place, I would think. Mm-hmm. And um, you know some of those bands I like more than others, but uh, I want to tell you about a band that you've never heard of. That maybe it's possible a couple listeners have heard of, but I, I doubt it. Um, but of course, it's a Japanese band, and they're called. The name's kind of stupid, okay. unfortunately, but they're called Happy End. Happy End. Okay. Happy End, not Happy, not ending. happy ending. Happy End. Sure. Well, that would be a different kind um, of thing. Yeah. So these guys are the shit. Like, they're so good. And I don't, I don't even want to talk more about them or go on about anything else until I show you a tune. We just, we got we to gotta pounce in here. All right, I'm excited. Um, yeah. So the band is Happy End. Uh, they had a very short run. They were only active from, like, 1970 to 1973. I mean, they actually, like disbanded at the end of 1972 and then their the third and final album came out the following year okay so that was going to be my question because you've showed me a band before i I think they were japanese i can't remember yeah so i showed you i showed you kirinji okay that from like the late 90s early right and they were approximating an earlier sound so my question was going to be yes is this band modern or somewhat modern but no they were making the music in the same era that the genre was kind of you know flourishing Yes, yeah, so I, I will set up a little more context here. So three albums. Uh, I'm going to play you a song off the first album from 1970. They were one of the very first acts to insist on using Japanese lyrics as mm. like a popular music act, which that seems bizarre that that would be a weird thing over there. Like, oh, you're not singing in English, the oh, music in, of the Westerners. In Japan. They, they, in Japan. So they're, they 
insisted on singing in Japan. But yeah, all these acts, by the way, in, in Japan throughout the 60s that were incorporating rock and blah, 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 that was still only just for the Japanese market, yet huh. they insisted on singing in English. But so they were kind of, uh, they weren't the first, uh, despite what it says uh, in some places online, but they were really trying to be true, uh, authentic artists. And I would say without question on the level of any of the Western counterparts, like they're very inspired mm. by Neil Young, Buffalo Springfield, Crosby, Stills, Nash. And you're going to hear that in the song I play, but, um, this, the, their work e- easily equals that. And we'll, we'll get back to that in a second. That's the, that's, that's part of your argument. That's the, that's the easy tier. That's the no brainer tier. That's the easy. Okay, argument. okay. Okay. Yeah. So, I, I guess I'm setting up more context here than I expected, but what I w- the first thing I want to put out there, and the 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 the, uh, the low hanging fruit is, you know, they they wanted to break out. They they kind of ended their tenure kind of in defeat. They just didn't really sell. Meanwhile, uh, all the indiv- individual members went on to have like gigantic careers oh. in the Japanese mix- music industry. So I'm excited so to that, talk. That about That is that indeed too. a happy ending for them. They're yes. Oh yeah. They, at least two of them are like two of the most hugely influential artists, at least in like alternative music in Japan. They're, oh. they're, they're the real deal. But, uh, we live in a world, especially back then and still now with so many barriers, you know, linguistic, cultural, uh, political, and so, of course, they never could break into the U.S. market mm. and barely made a dent at the time in their own. But if you didn't have these barriers, if we lived in John Lennon's Imagine world and anybody could go anywhere they wanted in the globe and just do their thing, absolutely, these guys deserved a spot in Laurel Canyon. Get them a nice house up there. Get them on uh, Asylum Records sure. with Geffen or, or whoever. Get them on Atlantic, and they would have been fucking huge. They would have been as as big a name and as just... Uh, as beloved as any of your your Neil Youngs or your your Crosby, Stills, and Nashes. Wow, you've you've presented this very well. I'm very excited to hear what this sounds like, and and the the, the hype is significant right now. I'm I'm hyping I'm it up so much because it's just a no brainer. My I'm about to take my uh, headphones off. There's so much hype <laughs> rattling in my head right now. Yeah, so the pressure's on. You better I feel, like yeah. This, I feel like fuck. I need to really like this for you. I might have to turn my Fucking camera better. off if I don't like it. You better. So now I'm going to play a song from their first album, 1970. This is called Shin Shin Shin, which is the title. It's like an onomatopoeia for like walking through freshly fallen snow. Oh, that's like nice. The, the, ima- the imagery of this song is is like snowfall and kind of that presenting like existential questions or something. Mm. Um we we can go through the translation uh, that somebody provided, which I sort of have some issues with. We, we, we can get to that point a bit, but oh. I think at this point we need to just listen to the goddamn song. And uh, you're going to love it. Okay. So All right. I'm going to hit play. Here we go. Yeah, I, I really like it. 
自分さえ汚れた雪の中に消えてぬかるみになればいいなればいい Yeah, I mean it's it's it's. You want? Do you want my reactions? Give me give me your reaction. God damn it! Start talking about the song. Uh, so I I love it. I I really really like. I mean like when I when everybody came in, it was like oh man, this is just really glorious. The production is is very interesting. It sounds extremely organic. Like everything sounds like super close mic'd and definitely hangs sonically with anything that was happening in that era. It's also very loose. Uh, but there's something that's really interesting about it that I think sets it apart from that music, which is the drums. Because there's no,、yeah. there is no, I mean, that's like can drumming. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just like that is not, you would not hear that in like a Mamas and the Papas song or a bird song. I mean, that was more just like sort of straight ahead drumming. I mean, you don't even really think of the drums when you think of that genre. And yet here, It's, it's, almost like,、um, it's almost like pushing towards Prague or something like, like early Prague, like,、uh, I don't know, like Incredible String Band or, or something like that, where it's just like the, the tempos are strange and the percussion is strange.、Uh, yeah, I, I really like it. It makes the whole song kind of off kilter, but, but, it, but it holds together. And he's not exact. Like, it's not like a, he's not like metronome drumming.、Uh, so the whole thing kind of like, Sways the whole time. It's really interesting. I, I, I agree that, it's, that it sits within that genre and it hangs sonically with everything else that was going on at that time in the West Coast. But I mean, those drums just like take it in a different, take it to a different dimension. Oh,、mm. I mean, what is the tempo of that song? Is that, is that four four? I can't even, I One, couldn't even. Two, three, four. So, you got to、so、listen to bass. That's the key. That's one of the, that, thank so thank you, Thomas. For aspiring musicians out there, when you get confused, you got to listen to the Thanks, bass. Thanks, Thomas, for educating me. <laughs> That's why we do this podcast, so I can learn. Hey there, it's Thomas recording after the fact. So, what happened is I got so excited rambling about Happy End for 10, maybe 15 more minutes. And making all sorts of great points, giving you so much context about the band and each of its members. I just couldn't wait to tell you about every single detail. And、uh, my mic wasn't working, and I didn't notice. I was just too caught up in my fervor. So, what's going to happen is、uh, I'll share like a three minute snippet. That's still intact from the rest of、uh, the conversation. And then we'll just move on to Matt's section.、Uh, by that time, I'd stopped yammering enough to,、uh, to check my levels and I, I, I fixed what was wrong. So we, we got a full, full Matt Longo session today, at least.、Uh, and I hope you forgive me. I'll certainly be back、uh, talking about this band and its members plenty more. But for now, I'll just play you a little snippet of me talking about、uh, Hosono Haruomi. Sorry, I gotta say it the Western order. Haruomi Hosono,、uh, one of the members of the group. So you're gonna hear me talk about him, and then we're just gonna keep it moving. All right? Thanks. 
huge, and he's he's easily one of my top three bassists of all time. Oh, so wait, wait, so he sings and plays bass on the record? He sings and plays bass and plays guitar, wow. and apparently plays piano too, and uh, wrote half the songs. Cheers. Um, but the the guy who wrote the other half of the songs, who, God, you know how like you and I are both just brainwashed by the Beatles and we listen to the records a million times. And Uh you know how your brain can do that thing where you bounce back and forth between like, was John better for this and this reason? John might be better, but Paul might be better because Paul has these, you know how you just like go in that rabbit hole sometimes. I do that with Hosono and one of the other main members uh, whose name is Eichi Otaki. And uh, so he was also hugely uh successful after this band broke up like he had a big solo career his album a long vacation in the early 80s like made huge waves in in japan like that actually did really well commercially one of my favorite pop albums of all time Mm. and he also just produced also for a ton of other artists and was like super he was like he's like phil Spector level um with he like did the wall of sound thing himself and like Mm. had lots of different interesting collaborations and um like produced for like the top 80s pop stars like absolutely anybody would know in japan like he would work with them so you got two hall of famers um and then you also got the lead guitarist and um he he didn't write as many songs well all right i'm good and all over the place his name is shigeru suzuki I'm going to talk about him more too at some point, but so he, he's totally the Harrison of the group because he okay. didn't write as many songs at the beginning, but then um, writes more and more just before the band breaks up. And then like his solo career kind of fizzles out in the same way Harrison's does, but uh, he's fucking great too. His, his guitar work and then the songs he does write are bangers. He's got a great voice. I like his solo albums. So you got three heavy hitters and then the drummer that you admired so much, um, I always forget his name. He's uh, Takashi Matsumoto. He wrote all the lyrics for the band. Oh, interesting. Lyric writing drummer. It's like, uh, what? Like, Lyric like, writing ru- drummer. Like Rush. Yeah. And he went on to write lyrics for like everybody in the industry. Okay. Um, like ended up like at the end of his career, he had written like 2,100 songs <laughs> for people. Wow. He's just a lyric writing machine. Um, and his work is like influential in that way in Japan, big time and stuff. So you just got four monsters that, like, the the stars aligned and they were together for a few years. And I feel like I'm already going over time talking about these guys, but you can tell how excited I am. I want to show you one intense. more song. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm going to show you one more Happy End song. Okay. Uh, this is two albums later. This album is also called Happy End. So that's nice and confusing. Wait, wait. Right? So both albums are called Happy End? Two out of three are called Happy End, but the only difference is the third. The third one is called Happy End. Well, the the one in the middle is Kaze Machi Roman. That's the one that like is the people think is the best. What does that translate to? Happy End. Does that translate to Happy End? No, (laughs) that'd be funny if it did. Kaze Machi Roman translates into Wind City Romance, whatever that means. It's a concept album about the 1964 Tokyo Olympics which is like a oh. really big time of like cultural change as you might imagine in Japan. Also they are kind of pro- they are kind of proggy that they're writing about these They're of they're things. but I mean half those songs are like acoustic guitar and mandolin. They're they're folk rock more than anything else. Mm. But uh they get a little I actually so the deal with the third album 
which is also called Happy End, except this time they spelled in English instead of uh, Japanese. Okay. Um, they went to Los Angeles without really... They just like took a suitcase of money, showed up at Van Dyke Park Studio unannounced mm-hmm. and like at, at Sunset Sounds and Parks was in the middle of like working on his own album, Discover America. And initially it was like, what, what are you guys doing? Hello, like I'm working, you just showed up unannounced, like who the fuck are you? But then uh, they showed him the uh, suitcase of crisp hundred dollar bills and he said, okay, <laughs> that's how the story goes. So he produced, he worked with them on the- So Van Dyke, Van Dyke Parks worked with Happy End on their third and final album, as well wow. as uh, several several session American session musicians, um, like two of the dudes from Little Feet, wow. uh, Lowell George and Bill Payne. Wow, Lowell George played so on it. Oh, yeah. And that's not the last time that um, uh, he, Lowell George and, and Little Feet worked on Japanese artist albums. Huh. Uh, there's a little bit of a- Micro collaboration there going on for a while. East meets West. Look at Lowell George. Wow. Yeah. Now I want to listen to all three of these records. And I am actually genuinely excited. I mean, you're scaring me with your level of enthusiasm, but that's fine. That's what enthusiasm does sometimes. You haven't heard the last of Thomas. Um, so my opinion uh, is... I think, I don't think it's a basic one. I think there's part of it that's basic that you will 100% agree with. Uh, I'm pretty confident in that. Uh, but there's another element to it that I've just been kind of hung up on for a while or since I heard their record. And I want to get your take, even though I know I'm right. But I still, you know, I'd, I'd like to entertain whatever you think, if you, if you know what I mean. So there's this prevailing opinion that fun, funky Beck is better than sad Beck. Um, you know, that, that the fun Beck is the Beck we're all waiting for, you know? Like we're supposed to... C- the true Beck. The true Beck. Like we're supposed to celebrate when he's back in that mode. Like that's where the magic is, you know? But if you need to choose between the two, the argument I'm making is, for starters, sad Beck is superior. And I know I'm, I'm losing listeners right out of the gate there. Uh but I'm going to add a note onto that because I don't think that's that strange of an argument. I, I do think I'm, I'm in the minority in thinking Sad Beck is better, but uh, there's an alternative to both Becks. If you don't want to choose, there's one record, just one, that splits the difference between Sad Beck and Rhythmic Beck. And for me, it's the best Beck album of them all. Uh, it's, it's serious, heavy Rhythmic Beck, and he has only done it one time before he abandoned it and moved on to one or the other forever, forevermore. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So... Who are we talking? We're, well, we're going to get to the amalgamation back in a second, but I need to give you context. You gave me a lot of context. I'm sitting here with all this context for I Happy End. so much context. I have so much yeah. Happy End context. I don't even know what to, what to do with it. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to give you some context first. So I, I think I know your taste well enough to say that y- you, you really like Sea Change. Am I right in thinking that? Sea Change, you know, it's it's strange. I find myself not revisiting it too often, but uh, I think it's one of his better records for sure. I like the Nigel Godric collab that he did. Um, it's very shimmery and just full, and and uh, it's a downer. But it, it feels kind of like an earned downer. Um, I, I feel... It's, Maybe the reason I don't get uh, more into it is because I feel mm-hmm. like it asks you to really sympathize with Beck, 
or to really take him seriously in him and his emotions. And he's too strange and, and um, confusing to me. As a, I, I want the silly, abstract, obscure Beck. It's hard for me to try to connect with him on that on that emotional level. But it's it's great songwriting. You want sure. silly Beck? Yeah, yeah. So your take on that record is actually not far from. I mean, I I, I feel differently about it. I think it's one of the best albums of the two thousands. Um, and and I do think it was considered that way at the time. But I think that now, it's one of those records that though it was deemed as a classic at the time, it's like kind of slowly slipped out of public consciousness, even among music fans. Like more and more, it's just sort of cited as like, oh, the maudlin yeah, the slow Beck record one. that's wildly depressing. Also, he has so many too. Right at this point. He does have a lot of albums. He doesn't have, there aren't too many sad Beck albums. And we'll get to that in a second. But more on Sea Change, it, 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 there's another record that it really, it, it, it calls on um, the History to Melody Nelson, which is a Serge, Serge Gainsbourg album that we might oh, talk yeah. about at some point if I, um, you know, I hesitate to bring it to this podcast due to the extremely problematic nature of the album's concept. Uh, but maybe, maybe we'll cover it. The concept of Serge Gainsbourg. Yeah, he's pretty problematic. Yeah, he's just sort of problematic, just overall as a human being. But that record in general. Um, but having said that, sonically, that record really doesn't have a lot of peers, except for Sea Change. I think brings back that sound, builds this like electrified country vibe on top of it. This Beck's dad's does the strings and he's amazingly talented and there's a synthy wow. experimentation. So it's, it's really a layered thing on that record. I'm a big fan of sea change. And, and for my taste, when comparing it to the sound of like Odelay or, or, or uh, midnight vultures albums that we can clearly put in the fun back category, I just far prefer um, this sound. Um, there's just a wholly different aesthetic though. Uh, and he keeps those sides of himself so far apart. that It's almost like he's two different artists in that respect. Like, if you think about... Yeah, he's really splintered. Yes, yeah. I mean, people always compare him to David Bowie. Like, he's a chameleon. You never know which Beck you're going to get. Right, kind of thing. right. And, well, I think with him, I mean, Bowie uh, was changing directions up until seemingly the moment that he died. I think with Beck, there, there are those two clear areas that he works in, with the exception of the one album that we're going to talk about. But, like, if you think about... Um, his label's marketing of a record like Morning Phase, which was, you know, there's Sea Change and then Morning Phase was like the the next time he sort of arrived at the Sadbeck sound. All the press releases around it were like, Sadbeck is back and he's he's better than ever. You know, he's, sad, he's sadder <laughs> than ever. Uh, and that album is, is decent. It, it's not Sea Change. There's some good tracks on it. But as I alluded to before, there's one album where he does sit between those worlds of Funbeck and Sadbeck. And I, it's my favorite record of his. Uh, for as much as I've gone on about Sea Change. Um, it's the record that comes right before Morning Phase, uh, and it's called Modern Guilt. Modern Guilt, okay. Modern Guilt. This is his 11th album. Uh, yeah. It's a pretty short album. It's only like half an hour. Yes. But it is... It's like his shortest one, maybe? Yes. Of his major releases. It's his shortest record. It's, it's packed with ideas. So Danger Mouse co-produced it, so the bottom end is just like bananas. Taken and care of, yeah. Taken care of. It's all taken care of. Uh, and there are these vaguely synthy elements that you can't quite place that just add this layer of like digital dust oh, kind yeah. of a sound to the whole thing. It's very inviting. So before I talk any more about it, let's listen to the first tune here. It's called Chemtrails. All right, modern guilt. Here we go. Mm-hmm. 
Now this is proggy. Oh yeah. Uh. I mean, I just, I don't even want to talk over that drum part. I love, I do really love this album. This is an underrated one. Mm. So, I feel like I haven't played enough of that song because every, every time I want to hear it, I just want to hear the whole thing. Uh, oh, yeah. But it, it's, so it's kind of haunting, kind of morose, but it has this visceral heft in the instrumentation. It's obviously very aggressive and there's like this funky bounce to it, but it's with this emotional heft. There's a sadness there and yet the lyrics are not about like a relationship, it's 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 that same surreal kind of back where he's talking about watching chemtrails in the sky, but with the same pathos as sea change. So it's this it's this intersection of the two different backs, and I think this is where the genius lies of this album for me, and why it's my favorite back album. We got sea change melody and delivery and mood, but with the funk and intensity of like midnight vultures. This song right here, I think, is my favorite back song. I'm not gonna argue with that too, but I. Yeah, you're making a pretty good case. I I think I can't forget Odile. And like I said, I really do love like just insane, doesn't give a shit about anything, stream and consciousness, Beck with Beats and his, his work with the Dust Brothers. I don't think I can quite mm. give that up for my top place, but this would be right behind it. I, I don't know why people, feels like they kind of slept on this one in the context of his whole career. Yeah, I, I think it, maybe when it came out, it was sort of like, I don't know. There was a lot of exciting indie music coming out when this record was released. Um, and maybe he was looked at as sort of like a, a godfather kind of thing to sort of bring back another another bit of terminology from the last bit where it's like, oh, he's doing, he's like a legacy act, but he really wasn't. Like he was still making records that were um, as sharp as, as anything else that was coming out at that time, you know, TV on the radio or whoever it was that, that he was competing with uh, creatively. Um, here's another song that I think really could have fit on Sea Change itself, uh, or not for the, you know, a little bit different instrumentation arrangement. Like there's a drop there, like there's a beat drop in a song that is like pretty maudlin. Uh, I mean, you, you take out the the bottom end, take out the beat, and how is this not part of Sea Change? Yeah, this beats Sea Change for sure. And this tune is about. Uh, I don't know if it's a true story or not. It might be like one of those Beck things, but uh, one of those Beck things it. where is he just talking a bunch of shit? You know. Sure, as it, this ha that happens to all yeah. of us. Yeah, we all get we get accused of being Beck at a certain point. You know, being into Scientology or whatever it is. But this song is about a girl who flings herself into a volcano, um, and. I don't know if it's a true story or not, but he sort of uses that to talk about um, 
I, I think it's depression. I mean, it's one of those like uh, Rorschach kind of songs where yeah. you can take what you want with it. But there's a lyric in it. I don't know where I've been, but I know where I'm going to the to the volcano. I don't want to fall in, though. Just want to warm my bones on that fire for a while. I mean, it's just, it's just like it's surreal back, but it's emotional back. Uh, I just think this is where he, he could have stayed here and made a career out of this version of himself. Mm. And instead, what happened? The next record was Morning Phase, and he went... I like Morning Phase. I do. I really like Morning Phase, but it's squarely in that sort of countrified sea change uh, sound. It's even sleepier, too. Even sleepier. And then after that, he was like, oh, fuck this. I'm just going to make happy music now. Uh, and went fully, fully into fun back. And that to stuff, a degree that, that stuff sucks. Colors. I don't en- enjoy it. Okay. I don't enjoy That's it a nice way to say it. Yeah. There. I think it's, yeah. it's not for surprises me. me how bad it is, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, and I think that it almost, um, I don't know what it is about it, but it, it's, it's when he got close to it in sea change, it was very much like from the relationship he was, he was exiting. Uh, and yeah. it was almost like he didn't want to be there even creatively and then he got out yeah and was, was making he, fun it's, records the, again it's and, the ultimate like angsty breakup album it's just so clear yes. that he's like okay i'm here in this emotional state better get out the acoustic guitar <sighs> you know it's just that's the whole vibe of the album but modern guilt is a different thing it's just that that it's like this the nexus of sad back and fun back right it's not that simple it's got layers to right it. and and to kind of cap this off i want to i want to listen to the title track because I think it's probably the best representation of what we're talking about with this, the somber mood, but with this light bounce. We could just start at the top of this one. Um, let me get that going. Oh, yeah, here we go. Right. Title track. Can I click it? Go for it. You really can't go wrong working with Danger Mouse. No, no you can't. It's just, it's just, just enough modernity. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't sound dated. It doesn't sound stuck in 2008. Not at all. I mean, this song is just, it's tremendous. Yeah, I mean, I just, I think this record is slept on. I think there are records like, um, you know, Spoons, Ga 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 Ga, that is, you know, I that's think a good one too. An yeah. equally great record, but is not slept on. You know, everybody refers to that as a as a really terrific album, and I feel like this one is just sort of lost. But it, it's that nexus of, of the different Becks. And I think that he could have stayed here for longer and I'd like to see him come back at some point. Yeah. He's not done yet. It's, it was a transitional record really. Like it was just a stop in the road because he was coming out of fun Beck and on his way to being sad Beck again. And this was just sort of his way to get there. Uh, But I, I, yeah, I, I think there's more that can be made of just like how surreal the sounds are, surreal the lyrics are, and there's this bounce to it and this energy. And yet, 
there are the strings and his delivery is like sleepy. It's just such a strange combination of, of, uh, of, of vibes. And I, and I've still, I really haven't, I know it sounds like I'm exaggerating, but I've not really heard other albums that sound like this one. It's just yeah. a, a weird combination. Yeah. It's, uh, so I was going to say the information, you know, we haven't really talked great about album. that at all. And it's I feel like album. that's combining moods sort of in a similar way. Like that album feels kind of paranoid, even though it's got some grooves and stuff. That That's my second favorite Beck album. And I know, you know, Beck fans or music fans in general will be like, why? Why? No, that's a great, that's but also I love my top three. Yeah, the information. Yeah. It's really long. Um, <laughs> it's so long, yes. That one almost kind of approximates this vibe, but that feels just more, what was the, the nice term you used? Uh, not busy, but... Or ornate. Oh, uh, there's a lot of ornate, yeah, a lot of ornamentation. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's ornamentation. A bit, yeah, that that's a little the bit lighter, there, maybe. Yeah, a little lighter, a little less low end. But yeah, I mean, that that's that's another slept on Beck album. But I think you know, put Modern Guilt Modern Guilt up to any record that came out that year in the indie scene, and I think it stands up next to it. Any record that decade, I'd say. Sure. Yeah. Hells so, yeah. Where where do you rank Modern Guilt in his discography? Ah, well, I can only say the albums that I'd still have to put above it, which is going to be Oero. Great record. Is it going to be the information? You know, I'll put a pin on that. But definitely Oero, definitely uh, Odele. I think that's fucking it. So I guess number three, three or four. All right, so it's still pretty high. Well, maybe we can, by by the end of our time working together, maybe I can inch the number up a little bit more it's quite if i possible. do if i have no other influence on you what did we learn today uh we learned that i do really have to listen to this happy end band i'm i'm, I'm very excited uh i know you feel self-conscious about the amount that you've talked about them but i but i you have actually convinced me to sometimes i say we talk about things in this podcast i'm like yeah i'm gonna check that out and then like i might have intentions to do so and then i don't sometimes i do this I will absolutely be listening to tomorrow just because the level of enthusiasm you have for it and how much I love that opening track. Mm. Yes, sir, Bob. Um, I got very excited talking about Happy End for sure. I got so excited that I learned I need to track my uh, microphone a little bit better because I think we lost the last 10 minutes of my argument. It came back right when you started talking about Beck, but uh, I'm going to do some creative editing there later. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Uh, And uh, hey, but you know, that's all, that's par for the course. Hey, it's the way the cookie crumbles. This will will not be the last time you talk about that band, the members of that band. I think you'll have plenty of chances to, uh, to do them justice. I will, and uh, you know, maybe that maybe it's a, a gift from God that uh, people are going to lose the last ten minutes of me rant, ranting and raving, and it's going to be a slightly abridged version sure. of this here episode. But uh, yeah, that's we 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 give it to you how it is. That's just how how we roll here. But uh, yeah, I'm going to listen to Modern Guild again. I've I keep forgetting about that one somehow. I don't know if it's because it, it came out at a particular year where you know I was like in high school. Uh, it just the, the economy collapsed. This is a fucking weird, kind of confusing time. Yeah. I don't know. Albums from that time just have a certain, uh, yeah. they feel 
I felt I felt like at that time I would just listen to anything. So there's some kind of transience, or sure. just like replaceability with 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 uh, some albums of that time that I got into. But Modern Guilt, one for the ages. I absolutely agree. Yes. Yes. All right. So we learned a lot. We did. Um, and I could be wrong now. Oh God. But I don't think so. Oh, every time he gets me every time. It annoys me the same level every time. Though I, I here's here is my catchphrase for this week. Here here it is. Ready? You ready for it? If you have access to hypoallergenic baby formula, send oh, it yeah. to my house because I need it. I need it bad. Uh, and also, uh. Uh, daddy needs it daddy needs it yeah to 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 put it plainly daddy needs it okay i hope i've gotten my message across well that's it and uh sorry again for the shorter length this week we'll do better next time uh and please uh you know what i'm gonna say now please leave us a nice uh review give us a good rating on your podcast platform of choice, preferably Apple Podcasts, formerly iTunes. I guess iTunes isn't really a thing anymore. Uh, but yeah, we, uh, we love your support and uh, thank you so much for listening. See you later. <laughs>